to the Lead Lap Show. Your home for Southeast Motorsports coverage. Here's your host, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year to all of you. It is great to be back. We had an extra week off that we hadn't planned on uh, before we started our 2023 round of shows here, but uh, that worked out just fine, and we are excited to be back in the saddle here on Lead Lap. My name is Tom Baker, and uh, it is great to be with you. Um, excited to be uh around for another year here at WSIC and all of our affiliates and have a special guest in studio to start off with in 2023. His name is Kyle Lockrow and Kyle is a driver that uh, is working on his climb up the motorsports ladder, if you will. And we're going to let Kyle kind of tell you about himself and his story here as we go through the program today. So, uh, Kyle, thanks for being with us in the WSIC studio. We appreciate having you. Tom, thank you so much for having me. Everybody, Lead Lap Nation, thank you guys so much for letting me be on tonight. Uh, A little bit about me. I was born and raised up in Southern Maryland. I've been there all my life. I am still there currently. I haven't made the permanent trek to Charlotte yet, but maybe down the line we'll get there. Um, I started in Legends cars and worked my way up through late models, four-cylinder cars, Did progressed into Champ Car Endurance road racing, and now I'm starting to work my way up the NASCAR ladder, ARCA, and doing now moving into the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. Yeah, it feels like um, that's kind of the the way of the world. Um, we, we start in the the legends cars or quarter midgets or go-karts or whatever, and then work up through late models and right into uh, ARCA. And then um, what is now the craftsman truck series again, um, all the, all the years that I spent accidentally saying craftsman, because my mind tends to wander and take trips back in time when it shouldn't. Um, now I can say it with confidence and I'll probably be saying camping world for uh, the next year just because of that. But uh we're back to being the Craftsman Truck Series. So tell me a little bit. Let's talk about each stage of your career. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. What got you interested in racing? How old were you? I was six to seven years old. It was 1997. And it was when Diamond Ridge Racing and Melling Racing had the Turner Network sponsorship for about two or three oh, wow. years. That was and a while ago. It, it was a long time ago. And that was one portion of it. And I grew up. Thanks to my father, who introduced me to the Hanna-Barbera flavored cartoons, Scooby-Doo, Flintstones, all those characters. Back when cartoons were actually good. Exactly. Back when it was quality over quantity. So, yes, I agree. But I got into it from there and um, just was addicted to that 29 Scooby-Doo car, Robert Presley for Diamond Ridge, and it grew from there. I also was introduced from the Montag family of a young man I went to school with, Andrew. They introduced me to the old NASCAR 98 uh, game on PlayStation oh, 1 okay. console. So from there, it blossomed into uh, a passion, I call it. Some call it an obsession. You know, tomato, tomato, it's fine. But <laughs> from there, it just kind of grew. And then I started later than most drivers. I was 17. I Actually, same age as Dale Earnhardt Sr. when he got into a car for the first time. So kind of share that in common with the Intimidator. But from there... Just started working my way up. Mom and dad don't have a lot of money. I'm not a kid with a name. I don't come with a blank check down here to Charlotte. I had to pave my own way and make it work. 
So you started in Legends cars, you said? Well, I tested a late model at the now defunct Old Dominion Speedway in Manassas. Oh, to kind of I get love my, that yes. place. I actually went to the Winston Cup Museum over the weekend, and recently I found out Dickie Gore's family donated an old piece of the guardrail from years ago yes. in the museum up there in the at front. Winston-Salem. Yep. Yes. And I didn't notice yes. it till we were leaving the museum, and I went, oh, my goodness. That is just – that was a – it was cool for me. It kind of brought everything full circle. But from there, I started and then just realized, okay, I need to get a little more experience because I didn't do go-karts. Uh, so I needed to get something a little bit smaller, get my feet wet. Okay. And knew I could drive the cars, but let's start out smaller, build up, and get there and just kind of use Legends as a stepping stone. And so you went, you went from kind of the late model quickly back to the Legend, which I'm sure was... Uh, that's an interesting transition because money had a lot to do with it. Well, sure. But the, the, the driving aspect of it is so different. Actually, they're very similar. You think they're very similar. And the reason for that is yes, legends cars have a short wheelbase, but the amount of torque that those cars have, when you put the power down, it's very similar to a late model. The way it jumps off the corner, the horsepower weight ratio. Exactly. And they have the street tire. Yes. Yes, which is why, and and so when I've had drivers that I've worked with that come out of Legends and we're getting them into late models, they tend to, um, what I would call overdrive at first, they, they, they feel like they can control the car better than they actually can because... They were in these cars that don't handle very well, and they're very darty little cars that you really gotta gotta use both feet with um, to control. And so, I guess you're saying that, in a way, what as far as the speed sensation, they're the same, right? Is that what the aspect of feeling the speed? Is that what you're saying? You definitely feel the speed of it, but it's when you go to put the power down when the car takes the set, yeah, and you go to go off the corner. It's very similar in a late model because okay. you're waiting for it to take the set. But then you have to modulate the power because you're chasing the car. And then what you learn in Legends cars with the short wheelbase and having to control it and be very vigilant of your throttle input, you tend to do that in a late model. Yeah, you have a bigger tire and it's a slick, but you still have to be mindful of that because of different track conditions, tire compounds, et cetera, what the car's handling characteristics are. So you really – you take what you learn and – and use that as you move up. But for me, it was a driving school. It was, it was a Richard Petty-esque late model driving school just for me to get my feet wet in yeah. a car. So That makes sense. So yeah. how long did you race the Legends for? Off and on for about four or five years. And where did you race them? I raced at Old Dominion before it shut down. Ooh. I raced at Shenandoah a number of times. Okay. I attempted one at Southside, never again. Um, <laughs> never again. We'll, uh, we'll talk off 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 a mic. Yeah, about that. that was. Um, it, there's a lot to that, but yeah, just I, I mean, I, great little speedway. A I lot of history. Say, I but, would think it would be good for the legends, but if I was just in a rough situation that oh, night, but that's gotcha. yeah. okay. Um, and then I did some testing at Langley, and from there, that was really about it. Because I then started transitioning back up to late models and started testing Arca cars. Okay, so when you went from the Legends to the late model, um, how long did you spend? First of all, were you running the late model at the same tracks, or where? How did that? How did that transition go for you? See, my story is very different from a lot of guys okay. due to the fact that I was having to fund it on my own. I had to make opportunities work when I could, so I was in the car maybe once a month. 
And gotcha. I was having to run when I was available to run and when the money was there. Okay. So I was having to piecemeal a lot of my stuff. So I was always sometimes in a different car, different track. That was kind of the mantra we worked with. I was very rarely in the same car each time. Interesting. Okay. So you were renting rides when you could is what you're saying. Yeah, essentially with the program that I worked with Yates Racing with Kevin Yates, I was essentially an arrive and drive guy, but that's okay. a lot of what he did. He also did setups. Yeah. Similar to like what Ken Reagan and a lot of the guys do that are dealers and yeah. whatnot with that. But Kevin let me drive for him. He let me drive his car and then he'd put me in some of the customer cars to help kind of shake them down. He trusted me because he knew, yeah, okay, I wasn't running all the time, but he knew I could showcase the car okay. enough to get it sold, but also give it a top 10. Okay, I so. got you. So now, um, so where? tell me about the late model portion of your career. How did that go? Well, it had a lot of ups and downs. My best result was I finished fifth in the limited late model Garden State Classic at Wall. I was oh, driving, nice, in yep. New Jersey. Yeah, that was a crazy night. Little, You've run some awesome tracks. Yeah, and it's a lot of times it's kind of just been, hey, I've had to piecemeal and put stuff together. But I finished fifth up there in the Classic, my first time at Wall. Really loved that place. Uh, just made a mistake on my part, got caught in traffic, got black flagged for something, had to come back from the back. There were That was a whole other just... It was a learning experience, but I tell you what, I cherish memories like those because they've helped me as I've moved up. Have you lived in Maryland the entire time? Mm -hmm. Okay, so how are you then getting opportunities at tracks in Virginia, New Jersey, and I mean, I know there's not a lot of you know stuff in Maryland other than dirt, but what? Tell me about how all these things kind of were popping up for you. Networking, just okay. going, coming to Charlotte a lot, multiple times a year, talking to people, finding out who had cars, what was available, what was affordable, what I could do, what sponsorship I could pull together to make the opportunities happen. And I knew I had to be strategic about it because I started looking at the criteria, what I needed to get cleared to go to Trucks and Arca. And I said, okay, I need to make the most of these opportunities and get decent results so I can move up because at that point, then I can start garnering sponsorship from bigger organizations okay so how long were you in the late model division how many years did you run the late models for only before you started to only off and on for a couple of years honestly i ran one or two races in 2014 and then i was out of a late model for about four years oh wow so again just opportunities fell apart they were there and didn't there guys came in with money and they bought the ride and then i was on the sidelines again and then in 2016 actually i was good friends with Eric McClure. He yes. helped mold my career. He gave me a lot of good advice while he was in the midst of the success with his hefty rides okay. through different teams down here in Charlotte. Yep. And Eric always encouraged me and gave me solid advice. But at the same time, in 2016, when I was on the verge of calling it quits for one of many hundred thousand times, I got a call from him saying, hey, I've got this car in this series called Chump Car, which is now reverted yes, to Champ Car Champ Dirt Car. Series. Very he said, hey, I got a Toyota MR2 86, awesome little piece. Come down to Charlotte. I want you to drive for me. And from there, it started into the road racing. Okay, so you went. You were road racing for two or three years, weren't you? Before in you... while transitioning back to late models in 2018, I ran a com combination of of Champ Car and late models. So I was racing. Okay, I did five or six races at Kingsport for a team, and then was also running various road races at the same time. And yeah, Champ Car, I'm very familiar with. It's actually a nice little entry level endurance series. I think it's growing. Yeah, it is quickly. rivaling WRL. It's rivaling AER. And I'll tell you what: there's a lot of IMSA teams that are using it to garner their future talent. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I have a driver that, that has run a couple of those races and, and uh, ran at uh, Indy and ran. Uh, we went to Sebring last year, two years ago, and he ran a race at Sebring and, and just uh, love that series. Neat little series. We'll talk more about that. On the other side, we have to step away for a moment. We'll be back with more of Lee Lap right after this. Hey guys, this is Nathan Bird, a.k.a. Birdman, and you're listening to Lead Lap Radio. Welcome back to Lead Lap as we continue with today's show. Tom Baker with you, along with Kyle Lockrow joining us here on Lead Lap. And um, we'll be on our Inside Pass show uh, this week as well. And, uh, Kyle, we we were talking about your sojourn into the Champ Car Series, which is an entry-level endurance series. And I wanted to follow up on that because I think a lot of our listeners have a, an idea about all these road course series as being IMSA. And that's kind of like when you say, you know, Kleenex. It's, you know, there's a brand and then there's also many other brands. Champ Car is actually kind of an entry level. You can you can go racing in a Champ Car race on a road course like Charlotte or Indy or Sebring for, you know, three to four thousand dollars a weekend and you get two events. It's a really good way to um, to to kind of start off your road racing career um, in a situation where there's. You know, they put 60, 70 cars on the track, and you got to learn how to deal with cars passing you while you're trying to learn how to pass cars. It's harder than you think, which is why it's actually a really good opportunity for somebody like you to get some good experience on road courses, right? Well, 60 to 70 is a tame weekend. When you get to weekends like Watkins Glen and Daytona and a couple others, you're looking at 100-plus cars. I remember last year at Daytona, they had 122 entries in that race, and you want to talk about a packed house? You are in traffic for 14 straight hours. Now, to your point wow. on, the, on, yeah, it's, it's nuts. Now, to your point on the road racing, we do have two day shows. A lot of times they'll do eight and eight, seven, seven, or an eight and seven hour each race. Okay. But what they also do is they have your 24s and your 14s and, and 12s and things. And they also just did a, on New Year's Eve, they just did a 10 five at a Sebring to stop and celebrate New Year's. So they're trying all kinds of different things and different Enduros at different tracks and they're growing. And for me, it was an opportunity to race. And I realized, because at that time, NASCAR was starting to expand upon the road courses. Right. And I figured, okay, let me take a road race approach to this, where let's start getting some road course background and take that background where I feel like I'm a really good road racer. Let's use that to get my way into NASCAR, because if I can do like what a Borisette or a Pappas did, I can use the road race experience, get better on the ovals by using the road race. Exactly, because it helps my consistency on the ovals and being smooth, and I can learn to do both disciplines. So I use that as my way to get in the door. Well. And now tell me how that worked for you on the other side of it, because on the other side of that, of course, was ARCA. And then I think you've spent some time in the truck, have you not? I've done a little bit of testing for a team in a truck to get my feet wet. But the opportunity, COVID really, for all intents and purposes, COVID really messed a lot of things up for a lot of people and it set us back. So we're trying to gain that traction back. I was hoping to get some races in in ARCA and be further along, but it is what it is and it worked out for the better so honestly my first arca race was at kansas ironically on an oval but it's so you have to be so precise out there with the line and just being smooth 
the road racing helped me because having to be line sensitive and being careful about what you do, shifts, throttle points, lift points, brake points, smoothness, not oversteering the car, it paid off on the oval because I knew racing in a place like Daytona or the Glen where you have to be smooth, it helped me a ton at Kansas and it made me a lot better. And I have spent a lot of time on iRacing and in other disciplines just trying to be consistent and working on that average. Dave Mitchell, who was a team manager for Rick Ware before mm-hmm. he died about 10 or 12 years yep. ago, God rest his soul, great yep. guy. Yeah, I met him right right before he passed and was actually hoping to go to be development with Rick at that point. And Dave said, biggest thing I can tell you, biggest piece of advice is you work on your consistency because that's what wins races, and I never forgot it. Yeah, well, and he's right. That is a good piece of advice. You've got to be able to manage a race at the ARCA level or the NASCAR level, and that's a skill that you don't always learn on the short tracks unless you run some of these late model series that are, you know, um, 200, 250 laps or your biggies like the the Snowball or um, the uh, 400, Music City 400 at, at Nashville um, that uh, where they're longer distance, you you really need to manage your stuff. And, and uh, that's something that a lot of young drivers have a little trouble learning, especially some of them that come off dirt where these are short sprint races that they're running. And all of a sudden you got to get into an ARCA car and try to manage the car for, you know, a, a, a couple hundred miles or, or obviously you get into NASCAR, the races just get longer. So tell me who you, who did you race for in ARCA and kind of how is how did that go for you what the races that you've run walk us through your career so far to date since the resurgence post covid i got hooked up with fast track racing with andy hillenberg's operation awesome. down in harrisburg yeah andy's a great guy learned a lot from him i only ran a race for him at that point oh, just okay sometimes things didn't materialize and then just with part shortages and funding yeah. falling through i mean we all know this industry yep. the the peaks and valleys of motorsports but anyway i was fortunate enough to get to spot and do some driver coaching with Andy as well uh, for another driver, Bryce Hogelberg out of uh, North Dakota. Yep. So, And ironically, he's a dirt guy, so I actually was helping him transition to pavement there last year. So it kind of best of both worlds, kind of doing that dual role. But for me, it's just taking that experience, trying to expand upon it. And now that I've got more clearances to do different truck races, we're going to try to move up a little bit, take that experience, obviously dabble a little bit in ARCA when time allows and when funding is there. But we really – we get so much more exposure in the truck series yes. that I think running both or crossing both disciplines I think will benefit me in the long run. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the the, the trucks, the TV package is much better now. I've, I haven't seen the ARCA uh, TV package for this year, and I, I've been told that there may be more FS1 shows for the ARCA series. And if that's true, that's going to help that series a bunch because that's what it lacked. Um, MAV-TV is a great uh, channel, but you know it just doesn't pack the punch in terms of uh, demographical information that uh, like an FS1 would provide. Yeah, ARCA had actually made an announcement at PRI that Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2, FS1, FS2, will actually carry all of the 20 races across. There we the, go. Yep, exactly. They will carry that across the board for the season. I, I'm assuming that the goes ditto for East and West. Sweet. Don't quote me on that. But, I mean, MAV-TV was, was great. I actually got interviewed by some of their folks at PRI under the ARCA nice. uh, setup. So that was great to kind of meet those folks as well. Well, and, and again, I think that, um, uh, you know, they, that's a, it's a great opportunity for ARCA to step up. Now FS2 still has 
somewhat limited distribution, but um, hopefully most of them are FS1, and uh, that would be a great opportunity for that series. But running the trucks, I think, is just a smart idea. Now, you said you've tested a truck. For our audience who's, who are not really knowledgeable, tell us the difference from a driving standpoint between an ARCA car and the truck, because obviously you got a higher center of gravity with the truck. you got that big, long tail with the truck. Talk about how, how things are different between the two. The ARCA car has a little more downforce, in my opinion. But mind you, I've tested it at Charlotte. I've raced it at Kansas. And I've okay. done a little bit on the short track. The truck, I've only tested it at Myrtle Beach before it shut down. Oh, now, man. Mind good thing you, you got to race there, or at least test there. That's good. Now, here was the kicker, and this is something that your audience will appreciate and those car enthusiasts and those motorsports you know, gurus. It was a 39 to 40-degree day at Myrtle Beach. It was extremely cold at the okay. end of January. The track was garnering no heat with that extremely old pavement that it had. It was – I don't want to say I got a decent read, but I got a fair read in what the trucks will do, but – we couldn't get enough heat in it, and I ah. didn't want to risk doing any damage because this was just a shakedown. Sure. So we were a little, let's say, timid on what we were doing. I still pushed it, but I didn't overstep it because if it came out, it was gone. Yeah. So it was top-heavy. It was the way the guys had it set up. I tested for Rayon Brothers at that time. Okay. Um, Josh and his guys yep. were great that day. Um, actually, was going to do some stuff with them, but just, again, COVID didn't. It was right before everything shut down. Right. So things didn't materialize. But at that point, I learned a lot. I figured out smooth how to navigate colder weather, how to break in and just navigate what you've got. So for me... They're top-heavy, but they have more downforce than you think. Smooth is always faster, and especially it helped me when I went back to Champ Car because I had a number of races post-COVID that were extremely cold, and I ah. do the morning stint, especially like VIR, where there's no grip. Yes. I love that course, too. I do, too. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited because uh, Skip Barber Racing School relocated there mm -hmm. this year, and that they have made some amazing moves with that school that's elevated it to me right through the roof. And I'm really excited about what they're doing with that and glad that they're at VIR because that's my favorite course in all the country. It is just so beautiful. It's, it's a gorgeous course. I have to commend uh, Connie, the the woman, the lady who runs the, runs the place and owns it. Yeah. She is putting a lot of investment in the place. She is, She's trying to get NASCAR there, I'll guarantee you. And I know she's trying to get those prototypes back. I've heard that through the grapevine. Yes. But just with that lack of runoff and the speed, I know there's concern. So I know there's a five-year plan. I think they're going into year two or three. Two. So, two. And she's done a great job. They fixed a lot of the discrepancies. The place is phenomenal. I do a lot of instructing there with NASA on the side. Oh, nice. And it's, I just dabble in a lot of different things. But VIR, for me, I've had a lot of success there. And for those in our audience, it's not NASA the space people. There is a series. It is another endurance series. It's called NASA. I think it's uh, North American Speed Association or something along that. National National Auto Sport, Auto Sport, Sport Association. Association. Yeah. Um, and so, um, just learned a little bit about that uh, series at PRI. They've got a Mazda Teen Challenge series that's pretty interesting that they've started doing recently, and um, definitely good again. I think for the younger racers to get that experience um, with uh, that type of a series, so um, all good there. And uh, yeah, Hi, VIR is and Chris amazing. Cabello, you're welcome. 
Yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's right. Well, um, I'll, I, I, I like to talk about some of those things with our audience here because a lot of that, a lot of that stuff is just kind of remote. People don't know about it or they might know about it, but they don't really know what it is. And I love bringing different pieces of the racing world to different audiences because it's all amazing. And uh, and some of it is a lot of fun. And there are some real hidden gems out there for racing series and divisions. And NASA is one of them. We'll be back with more in a moment. Hey, I'm Howie Nisigano, and you're listening to Free Lab Radio. Howie DeSavino in the process of putting his plans together for the 2023 racing season. And I'm sure he'll join us at some point in the near future here in the studio to update us as soon as he has those ironed out. Always a fun guest, Howie, uh, from Virginia, living now down here in the Mooresville area. So uh, an up-and-coming young driver in the NASCAR world. We always enjoy having him on. Back to Lee Lap and back with... Kyle Lockrow, and it's great to have Kyle in studio. So we've been talking about ARCA and road racing and trucks, and um, you're you're in a situation now, Kyle, where you're still kind of rising up the ladder, but you are not 17 anymore. So um, talk a little bit about kind of how all that and the, and the age thing maybe affecting you if at all a little bit and 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 share some advice if you have any for some of the drivers that um are coming up through the ladder on on uh, maybe things they can do better or things they can avoid doing that uh, might help them climb up a little quicker not that you want them to step in front of you well <laughs> the best advice i can give to these individuals is stay vigilant stay on top of stuff don't take no for an answer. You're going to get 999 million no's before you get one yes. I'm living proof of that. Yep. If you're a racer that doesn't come from money or you don't come from name and mommy and daddy can't fund you, figure out how to make it work. You got to be 50% in the car, 50% out of the car. And what I mean by that is you got to get the job done in the car when the opportunities present themselves. Yep. Don't turn down any opportunities. Obviously, evaluate it first. Good, take a good opportunity and run with it out of the car you've got to be media savvy you've got to understand the business model you've got to understand what it takes to procure sponsorship you've got to be somebody that's not afraid to do podcasts media shows radio shows any type of media at the track any type of activation that your sponsor or partner may want you to do pretty much what you have to do is is you are their extension of their marketing program yes and the biggest frustration i've had and i wanted to go over this with you tonight i was talking to my team about this earlier the weekend what has been the most frustrating thing that I've noticed this year and over the last year is watching the world of motorsports, especially the NASCAR realm, define it, the word insanity over and over day after day. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting the same result. Is that what you're expecting saying? Expecting different results. Or expecting different. Yeah, sorry. I said that wrong. But no, yes. you're fine. Okay. Yeah. That's, but, you, but, you, yeah. but you proved my point. Yeah. <laughs> so that actually works. Part, but well, I'm insane. So that. No, Got it's well. Way. That makes that makes two of us. We can we can be crazy together on the radio. Yeah, there so, you go. There you go, lead lap. We're a cra- yeah. two crazy guys in a radio studio. So, but to my point about that is the biggest complaint I hear is from organizations, whether it's a mom and pop, midsize, or a multi million dollar enterprise, is say for example, one year deal they sign with A and B. You know, ABC company signs this with a driver and or team. Yep, and they are absolutely 
you know, ready to go. All right, we're going to get this done. High expectations. By month three, they are just absolutely around the grapevine. Oh, we don't like our situation. We don't like this. Okay, then you meet somebody like me. Here's how I'm different. Here's what I can do for you. Here's all the benefits that I bring to the table. All of a sudden, renegotiation time comes around month 10, month 11, and all of a sudden they're scrambling to fill the activation that they realize that they screwed around and didn't do the rest of the time. Yeah. Then all of a sudden when we go, hey, let's sign this up. We had Here's what we got. We can make this better. We can do this. All of a sudden it's, well, we re-signed and we went with what we did. Why did you do that? When back in March and April, you were telling us we didn't like this, we weren't happy, and you were essentially playing on your violin, the sob story. Well, we knew what we were going to get. Well, that's not good enough for me. And tonight, I'm challenging every one of you CEOs, CFOs, and COOs right now. You want to change. You want to do something different. Get out of what you're doing right now. Stop going with the same song and dance and going with the same things that they tell you year after year after year. You want to change this sport. You want to make NASCAR and motorsports better. Get behind guys like me. Right now, you call 269 269 <laughs> you call 269-719-5706. You call my management department right now. We put a deal together to go do some truck races and ARCA races and champ car races. And I'll guarantee you right now, I'll bet you, we'll give you better results by the end of the year. Well, when you say better results, now I, I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, and And I think that a lot of times it comes down to... Known versus unknown. So I think CEOs and marketing people get very comfortable. And I think, you know, going into something, I think it's and especially I think today where I'm hearing more and more conversations from sponsors about they want fans. They want to sponsor fans. It's not so much about the property. It's about the fans and and what they can add to the fan experience because they know if they can make the fans like them, then the the property is basically the pass-through. But when your extension of the marketing department is not doing their job and is is fighting their PR department to get in front of the media, to get in front of the fans. For example, last year at Talladega, I walked the boulevard two days in a row and was signing and just shooting the breeze with all these fans and hanging out with people at a lot of events. At Pocono last year, I did 14 events. I wasn't even driving that weekend. I was spotting for Bryce, and I was doing some driver coaching. I did 14 appearances throughout the course of the weekend. For some people, I don't even have involvement with, but I was doing it because the fans cared, and I was the only guy they met all weekend. Yeah, that's no, it's it definitely is is a big issue, and I think um, more and more, I think companies need to understand that the whole company needs to buy into it, not just the CEO who likes racing or the marketing department who thinks it's a you know it's a good TV buy or whatever, but the whole company needs to make this a part of their normal marketing and integrate it fully into everything they're doing from an activation standpoint because that's when this really starts to work well. I'm going to give another I'm going to say this well the board members as well. I'm going to give sure. you I'll give yeah, you another pri- right. right exactly. I'm going to give you another prime example of the let's just say crappy standards that this is at. All right, right now. Let's say you and I work for ABC Company. We There's usually a 90 to 120-day probationary period with this company. They want to see how you are, how you mesh, right. what your work ethic is. Okay, why are we as an extension of ABC Company, why are we not held to that same standard? If you don't pass those and your activation and your job duties aren't met, 
you get canned and you get a pink slip. And for all these guys out there that complain about doing all this extra stuff, well, this wasn't in my contract. Guess what, buddy? There's this little line in a contract that you sign when you get a job. It's called all other duties assigned. Guess what? Grow a set, figure it out, do what I do, and you know what? That's what you need to do to make these people happy. And these CEOs, CFOs, and COOs need to get behind a guy like me because all other duties assigned is my middle name. Well, and you meet a lot of these drivers that don't want to go out of their way. Bingo. And, and I've had drivers that, that are, you know, fairly big names in NASCAR, and they won't come on our show because, well, they get all their media on TV. And it's like, no, you don't. You're only on TV one day a week. You even forgot you, where you came exactly. from. You forgot the challenge of getting your sponsorship and That's doing what right. you did because you've got 14 people with slick back hair in a suit wearing skinny jeans or skinny pants, what a, yeah. dress pants, going after your stuff and flying on an executive jet to go lock in a $14 million deal for You're you. You're absolutely right. That is exactly, and, and so much of what the sport has grown into is exactly that. And it makes it difficult for you to get where you need to go. And for me as a media who wants to promote drivers and obviously has shows that, that reach in some cases millions of people a month and, you know, and, and these drivers are too big to, to spend 10 minutes with a, with an audience because, well, they get all their attention by leading races on TV. It's like that's not how you promote sponsors. Congratulations. That's a small, that, that's great. You won races, you won championships. Yep. I commend you for your success. Guess what, Bucko? That's a small, that's a single that's right. digit percentage of what this industry and what your job is. Your job is to get out there and make that team. You're a representative of a team, ABC company, and your job is those people that pay all that money, thousands of dollars with the cost of racing as we know it's getting cheaper by the day haha you can ring the bell if you'd like uh there you go i like ringing the bell there you go perfect because this i don't care for and so far you haven't hit a buzzer yet excellent and (laughs) and you know we haven't and you know it's sarcasm anyway these fans spend thousands of dollars each weekend the hotel fees aren't getting any cheaper that's right the tickets for the daytona 500 are 500 dollars a piece for an xfinity race and a daytona 500 ticket in the 300 section that is ridiculous well nascar unfortunately is starting to think it's formula one we were just talking about that on the way up here and yesterday you were reading my mind well i mean it's just true you know when when i look at nascar indycar and f1 and you look at the business model and you look at the types of people they're chasing and how they present, they're wanting to present themselves now and all of that. NASCAR is becoming more like Formula One and IndyCar is sort of the, it's funny because IndyCar is sort of the outlier here and they're trying to get the fans that NASCAR took from them when they split up and did all their stuff wrong in the nineties, eighties and nineties. And, um, you know, and now NASCAR is is looking at F one going, well, if F one can charge a million dollars for a a VIP package for the Vegas race, we can charge five hundred for Guess tickets what? For, you you know, just priced out ninety nine point right. five no, ninety nine point nine percent that's correct. of your fan base yep. and the people that love and are diehards and all those people, the merchandising, all these guys that make all the money off the merchandising and all these other endorsement deals and stuff, guess what? That's the hard-earned dollar of the hard-working Americans right. that go into your pocket. That's you need right. to think about those people. Take the time. Even if you give them two minutes, smile. Take a picture for them because guess what? They're going back to that trailer and buying that $50 T-shirt to make you even richer as you sit on Lake Norman on your boat. 
Well, and you know, here's the here's the other sort of other side of that coin. Guy like me has to go back to work tomorrow morning. I'll drive back overnight tonight and be back into the office at seven thirty tomorrow morning. Well, exactly. But the other side of the coin is that now more and more of those fans that are being disenfranchised by the major series are looking at short track racing and going, hey, that's pretty cool. And oh, by the way, breaking news today, folks, as we go to record this show on a Monday, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jeff Burton, Kevin Harvick, and Justin Marks have combined to form a group to purchase the Cars Late Model Racing Tour here in the Southeast. More on that in our next segment. Stay I'm Jesse Love, and you're listening to Lead Lap Radio. Jesse, announcement uh, just coming out that he will contest the entire ARCA Racing Series for the first time for a national championship with Venturini Motorsports. So hopefully we'll be able to get uh, Jesse back in the studio, too, to talk a little bit more uh, about his season. He's got a, He's out, uh, I think he's, at, I'm not 100% positive, but I believe he's running the Chili Bowl this week as we record this. This is Chili Bowl week. It's our first big event of the year, and it's one of the biggest of the year. If you don't know what the Chili Bowl is, um, go to ChiliBowl.com. It's about 400 midgets that converge and for an indoor race that pays ten grand to win, it is a week-long, uh, different qualifying night every night. And one of our most recent guests, Gavin Bochelle, as we record this show, this is his prelim night. He is trying to be one of the top two finishers out of uh, tonight's main to make it into the A-Main on Saturday. So hopefully we'll have uh, Gavin back on with a good Chili Bowl result. He already won a driller. Picked it up uh, last weekend running in the Tulsa shootout. So uh, the Mooresville racer, who is 14 years old now, is uh, having some quick success in uh, the micros and midgets. And uh, he is definitely a rising star. We've got another rising star with us, Kyle Lockerow, in the studio with us here on Lap today. And some really hard-hitting stuff, and I love it. Um, Frank honesty about sponsorship and um, how to deal with sponsors. And I teach every one of the young drivers that uh, that I work with that you are not a race car driver. You are a marketing company who uses motorsports to help other companies grow and succeed. And if you think of it from that point, um, it changes the way that you approach the off-track stuff because you realize that it is what you do for those sponsors that helps you to to get to the end of the week and go to the track on Saturday and compete. Absolutely. You have to be that extension. You have to go above and beyond. You have to find ways to connect with the fans, the people that are spending the money on these products and or services that these organizations offer. And the biggest thing you need to do is promote them. You have to find out what you can do. You have to set yourself apart, but you also can't be afraid to show your personality either. Well, that's for sure. Um, And that's, I want to get back to, we talked about the purchase of the cars tour by four of NASCAR's most influential people. And I want to make the point about that. And we'll talk more about this on next week's show, but wanted to make the point that I believe that is going to fundamentally I don't want to say revolutionize short track racing, but I think it's going to have a huge impact because when you get four people like those four, Dale Jr., Kevin Harvick, Justin Marks, and Jeb Burton, who invest their dollars to purchase a short track regional racing series, 
that will bring with it many other big eyes onto short track racing in general that were not paying a lot of attention before. And hopefully that spreads the wealth a little bit and spreads the love because short track racing, it's, it's, it's short track racing. That's where drivers like you come from and it needs more opportunity for drivers like you to get funded, even at that level. And the cars tour, no doubt is worth more today after the announcement as a sponsorship than it was yesterday before that announcement was made, just because everyone knows that if these folks are going to be involved, it's going to be more prestigious and it's going to be much more, have much more opportunities for marketing partners to come in and be a part of it. If done the right way, it's got to, it's got to be done the right way. It's great to have those four individuals a part of it. They have a lot of, Influence. They have a lot of influence. They network. have a lot of management behind them, but it's but they've got to be on the same page, and yeah, that's the will. biggest thing that we've seen in the past is you get guys with good intentions, but then skewed views. Everybody's got to keep yeah. a level head, and they got to go into it with a long term plan. Here's what I look at when I look at those four. Um, first of all, what well, everything Justin Marks has touched has turned to gold in the last five to six years. Okay, from GoPro Motorplex here in Mooresville to Trackhouse, everything he does. Um, we know Dale Jr. with Dirty Mo and everything he's built. Okay, um, Kevin Harvick has his own management company and he has his own um, network of things that he's involved in, all of which do well. Um, and and Jeff Burton obviously has a, a lot of connections as well. I think that that is going to um, mean those guys are going to know what they're doing. They're going to bring, I think, a much wider marketing um, approach to this and junior knows what short track racing needs. He's been living in it with his own team for years and things like what he did at Florence, for example, where at the end of the last year, when he agreed to race in that race, the very first thing he did is double the starting purse from 800 bucks to 1600. That made it a lot easier for the Saturday night racer to show up and pay for a set of tires and some fuel. That's the kind of thing. If they bring that sort of approach to a series like the cars tour, it's going to make a huge difference, and then what will happen is other promoters will start seeing that sort of thing and adopt it, I hope. And so what I'm hoping is that just by you know them making some, some key shifts here, um, short track racing is going to benefit, and, and we need it. We badly need more people like them involved at that level. Well, another thing we were talking about earlier in the show, what is it something younger drivers need to help grow and to be successful as they uh, as they navigate the ranks? Kevin Harvick and Justin Marks and a lot of these guys have management companies. Yes. I myself, along with my business partner, Tanya Banning, we started KLR Management Group. We started a motorsports management company to help work with drivers that don't have big budgets like myself and others to get a platform to learn how to do the business and right, how to deal with the financials, how to set yourself up in case of injury or a, some type of incident. These And I've looked on Harvick's site. He has all of those I's dotted and T's crossed. Yeah. Those are instrumental lessons that can be given to short track heroes and folks growing and trying to learn how to navigate motorsports absolutely no i agree with you totally i think it's i I think i just think that that was a huge announcement it was something that's been rumored since the fall uh that dale jr anyway was gonna was gonna purchase the tour and we've talked about it on our shows off and on is just that being a rumor um 
and that we thought that, you know, there's probably some sort of intention behind it, but it just took a while, I'm sure, to put all of the, 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 the things together with the people that were involved. Um, but it got announced today and, uh, is official. And, uh, the Cars Tour's first race in March, um, will be under the new ownership. Now, Jack McNally, who did own it, will still be, um, uh, controlling it and, and operating it, the same uh, officials and everything at the track, for, at least for now. Um, so that's going to be great. Kyle, before we let you go, real quick, um, where can fans follow you and, and keep an eye on your career? If you go to www.kylelockrow.com, go there right now. If you get a chance, you can see all of our social media extensions and channels. Follow them, like them. If you're interested in coming on board with us, all of you CEOs, CFOs, and COOs and board members, go there. We have a partnerships page. See who we're working with. As of today, we have an association with MPI in Mooresville, and we just agreed a deal to put together to drive for Young's Motorsports in 2023. Can't announce everything yet, but we'll give you details as it comes. Um, is that our car truck? Full truck deal. Nice. Okay, and that's a great way to end the show. We'll be back next week with another Relap show. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week, everybody. So long. You've been listening to The Lead Lap Show, home to Southeast Motorsports coverage on the radio. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Lead Lap Show on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And visit leadlapshow.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of The Lead Lap Show. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of the League Lab Show. Thank you for listening.